With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. Uh, I am here this morning all by myself without uh, my co-host, Nicole, who is taking a well-deserved vacation with her family, so we'll see how much I can screw it up while she's away. Um, I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that we're not taking phone calls, and I am not opening the chat room because I have to actually pay attention every second today because I'm the only one interviewing. So uh, in deference to our guest, I will focus entirely on uh, what he has to say because it's a a very important topic today. Uh, You know, a lot of the times on this show, uh, we talk about the promise and practice of inclusion from a sort of an idealistic point of view. Uh, we speak with people who have experience of inclusion when it's done right. Nicole certainly has that experience of it done right. Uh, and I know that myself and a lot of parents have had a lot of experience with inclusion done wrong or completely denied. So I feel that my role on this show a lot of the times is to be the curmudgeon who comes in and goes, yeah, well, that sounds good, but you can't get that in real life. Uh, So today we're going to talk a little bit about what happens when you can't get it in real life and how parents can advocate and fight for inclusion and how you make the decisions about uh, what your child needs and what you want to do about that. And we have to talk to us about that, about inclusion and special education law. Uh, Our guest, Charles Fox, here today to share his knowledge and experience with special education law. Uh, Welcome to the show, Charles. And can you start by telling our listeners what your background is and how you are involved with special education? Thank you, Terry. And um, I have been an attorney representing families with special needs for 20 years, and it really began with representing my own son, who's now 21 years old. It's hard to imagine. He has CP. And he okay. attends a transition program. And for most of his educational life, he was mostly included. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I morphed from a sort of general practice attorney into a attorney representing families with special needs. Great. And you also, I should mention to everybody, have a, a great blog called the Special Education Law Blog, which has been one of my favorites uh, to visit over the years. Uh, what is the uh, address of that for everybody? specialedlaw.blogs.com, and and I should add that I'm a mutual admirer of Terry and her work, which has really been comprehensively terrific over many years. I've been following her. 
Oh, well, thank you very much. It's, uh, as we were talking about before the show started, we've sort of known each other on the Internet but and admired each other's work, so it's great to finally be talking to you and to be able to uh, um, introduce you to all our listeners. So let's uh, start by um, talking about the most important elements of effective advocacy for parents seeking inclusion and enforcement of their rights under IDEA. Well, obviously, probably first and foremost is just understanding what your rights are, and that you know <laughs> yeah. that inclusion and inclusion. What I always tell parents is that inclusion is not something that you have to earn your way into. It's something mm-hmm. that um, the law presumes is the correct placement for your child. And what right. is inclusion? Inclusion is the school that your child would have gone to or should go to mm-hmm. um, if your child did not have a disability. And inclusion is not uh, is not something where um, you know. Well, if you want to swim in the deep end of the pool, well, that's cool. But you know, but we're not going to do anything to um, help mm-hmm. you. So take your chances and good luck to you. Rather, the legal definition of inclusion again presumes that it would be in the least restrictive environment. In other words, mm-hmm. neighborhood school with able-bodied right. peers. But mm-hmm. and this is the important but with the provision of aids and services, and aids meaning yeah. people, aids meaning things, aids meaning tools like assistive technology, mm-hmm. planning, training, support, and, um, you know, so that's sort of the message oftentimes gets sort of turned around that um, you have to right. earn your way in, but it's yeah. not like that. Okay. And, and how, do, how does one persuade the people around the IEP table that that's the case? I think probably one of the most important things is to um, is to humanize the child and to individualize mm-hmm. the child, you know, because even now after doing this for almost 20 years, what I hear is, oh, I know, I know kids, I know CT kids, or I know yes. autistic. And, you know, <laughs> and it may sound like sort of an idealized, you know, political correct thing, but it really, uh-huh. when people start using non-person first language like I stated yeah. a moment ago, that, that's mm-hmm. always a bad sign because, <laughs> you know, the first and foremost is that this is a student, this is a child, this is a young man or young woman who um, is, a, is a person first and, right. you know, and who happens to have a disabling condition. So I think, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the vehicle that I always recommend, and there are examples of it on my blog that I've used and some of my clients have used, is developing a parent input statement. And right. the, the idea of a parent input statement is that, first of all, it helps the parent crystallize their thoughts. Second mm-hmm. of all, it helps preserve time at the IEP meeting. And you yeah. know, there are many, many purposes for the parent input statement, but most of all, it really tells the story. It tells the pow- powerful narrative of the mm-hmm. student to the team. And I guess the other part of it is I look at I look at advocacy as being not just um, you know one shot and you didn't make it and then you walk away. I look at it a yeah. little bit as sort of like like in those old movies about medieval times where you mm-hmm. take the big log and you bash the wall and it just dents it a little bit. And you, but you just keep uh-huh. bashing until until the yeah. wall gives way and then you make your uh-huh. way in. And um, so it, it's not an all or nothing. And um, you know, today is a no, tomorrow is a no, but the third yeah. day may very well be a yes. Yeah. 
that's that's a really good way of looking at it. That is definitely, and sometimes it feels like instead of the log, you're hitting the wall with your head. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yes, it certainly can. It certainly can. Yeah, yeah, and and um, you know it can get so frustrating, and and you know sometimes there's there's retaliation by the school towards you or to you towards your child that uh, can make it very. Uh, you know, very difficult to keep going and to know whether what you're fighting for is the right thing or whether you should just take what's, you know, what's available. Well, it's... and one of the ways I try to turn things around, Terry, is, mm-hmm. you know, I try to look at it, I try as much as I can to look at it from the school's perspective and more to the right. point from the individual teacher's perspective saying, mm-hmm. you know, because I think there are well-meaning people out there. Yes, you know, absolutely. don't go into this to make a million dollars. So, you know, I say... Now, what would make the teacher's life easier? What would make right. the teacher more receptive to this That's concept? That's a great point. Which in, which, in theory, the teacher may, in fact, be receptive to, and um, mm-hmm. but he or she just doesn't know, sincerely doesn't know exactly right. how am I going to make this work. And that's where we bring in, you know, the other and critical part of the LRE mandate, which is mm-hmm. aids and services. And one, which... You know, after all these years, you know, it's gotten a little bit better with iPads, mm-hmm. but use yeah. of AT, assistive technology. Yes. And, um, right. This, what, what I say to parents and I say to staff is, look, you know, the student is a student. We don't need a better student. We need better mm-hmm. tools in the toolbox. And, right. you know, we try to put things on a constructive footing where, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not just simply folding my arms and quoting the law yeah. saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yes. I don't. I don't give a blankety blank. You know, right. you have to do this because I'm a lawyer and I say so. Because the reality yeah. is, is at some point, very shortly, I go away, and then yes. the teacher is left with the student in the classroom. So yeah. I'm looking for ways to, you know, if I make his or her life easier, meaning the teacher's life, mm-hmm. the teacher is going to um, a be more likely to ally him or herself with me. With the right. student, with the parent, mm-hmm. and actually look at this as being something that has not been imposed by some wise guy, big mouth lawyer, and um, right. but rather that he was actually considering my role and considering, yeah. you know, what tools I need. Which oftentimes a teacher is a low person on the totem pole and really yes. cannot advocate for those kinds of tools and resources. But me as an outsider. Mm-hmm. I can, and, and yeah. I have forged some fairly constructive relationships with teachers, and um, because they realize I'm not just trying to impose some artificial mandate on them. Yes, that's that's you know very true, and something I found really useful through the years. Um, you know, to make those allies, and also to offer as much as you can. Um, you mentioned AT, but also certainly behavior plans and, uh, you know, informing staff about things, helping with the uh, – they never get enough training, you know, especially the the paraprofessionals who are the ones who have to work directly with your child often don't get the training they need and so fall back on that their own very, experience very as parents. And that's not necessarily appropriate for this particular child if the child has some behavioral special needs. So um, – it's important as a as a parent to try to suggest as much as you can and to work with your team to to share what works for your child as much as possible. 
Um, is there still, and, and do you I find a lot of resistance to these tools? Sometimes, you know, and it's funny because I sometimes find it with the, um, the very veteran teacher who's been doing it uh-huh. for a really long time. And um, yeah. I've been doing this for, you know, X number of years and don't mm-hmm. tell me how to change. Or sometimes I find <laughs> yeah. it with the, and it's really surprising, the fresh out of school, freshly scrubbed new teacher uh-huh. and who sits there with their arms folded and says, I didn't learn that in school and, you know, so I'm, I don't have yeah. to do that. I, did, I didn't get in that line. I didn't sign up for that. And, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it always amazes me when I see a teacher, a young teacher, you know, mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, one would expect um, would be open and excited and newly minted yes. and out in the world. And, um, that's what we'd hope and, for. And <laughs> that's what we'd hope for. And, and I'm speaking in generalities because I certainly yes. have seen, you know, you know, all teachers of all stripes and all number of years of service, some very open to things. But, um, uh-huh. you know, it is it is hard when, you know, if a person has a closed mind right. that um, and is scared, because that's really where mm-hmm. we fundamentally come down is well, being sure. scared that, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can offer them AT and, and it's like a plate of Brussels sprouts. So. <laughs> yeah, I have a, a friend who has a daughter with a hearing impairment, and she got the, uh, I guess there's like a microphone the teacher can wear, and she had that in the IEP, but the teacher got tired of wearing it, so just kept taking it off partway through class. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> you know, FM, the, F, the FM system, which... Yeah, she, really she, you know, she doesn't turn her tool. ears on halfway through class. She really has to use it the whole time. So it yeah, just gets... And, and, Go ahead. Among my these first are, cases was a child who needed an augmentative communication device, and, uh-huh. and the argument actually was, well, he can have it from 9 to 3, but he can't have it <laughs> on the night or weekend. <laughs> and the special ed director said, well, you know... Um, I have children too, and in school, and you know, do, do they get to take their books home? And I said, well, actually, they do. And um, and I said, more to the point, this is even more than books. This is, in this case, a young a young boy who um, mm-hmm. needs to speak not just from nine to three. He needs to speak on right. nights and weekends, and he needs to practice yeah. the use of AT. And you know, mm-hmm. and we actually went to mediation, which is. Um, uh, uh, facilitated negotiation, and um, mm-hmm. it wasn't terribly long. Where the mediator, who was a strong mediator, she um, she kind of um, I think took a metaphorical two by four to the director and said, "Come on, let's not be this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, they they ultimately agreed to giving him his voice twenty four seven. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's you know it, it's seems to make so much sense, but people sometimes just get so locked into the way things have been done or the way things are on paper, and they don't use common sense. Uh, I know a lot of the times with behavior supports also, I, you know, my son always had a paraprofessional as a behavioral support, but, you know, she comes in like half an hour into the day, and then she leaves a half an hour before the end of the day, and it's like, well, you know, you still have the same issues those two half hours. Um, how can you just say, well, you know, okay, now behave for the next half hour. So that's all, especially when you're in an inclusive classroom, that's, you know, becomes an issue to be able to have access to that stuff and have it done in a well-thought-out and commonsensical way um, is always... Well, and the well-thought-out, especially, and, and I'm, I'm shocked, Terry, you know, with this half an hour at the 
beginning and half an hour at the end. I mean, <laughs> that is just yeah. astoundingly, systemically long. Yes. But the well yes. thought out, you know, which I always um, I'm amazed when I'm looking at behavior plans and data which feeds into it, is uh-huh. that we're, 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 we're collecting hash marks in terms of mm-hmm. frequency data. I had yeah. a student once who his frequency, his behavior was screaming in class. Mm-hmm. And they came in with like a train schedule, 9 to 9.10, 9.11 to 9.20. And in those uh-huh. like 9 or 10 minute periods, they would say, well, he screamed 47 times. Or he screamed 26 times. And, and I turned to the lawyer, his name happened to be Terry as well, and, um, uh-huh. who I regard as a friend and a colleague. And um, yeah. I said, you know, I'm not trying to be a wise guy. I just don't know how you scream 46 times in a nine-minute period. <laughs> and, um, but, but really the yeah. point that I was making is that when we're doing behavioral planning, there are six things that we always need to look for in order uh-huh. to do it well. And that's looking at the antecedent, the behavior, mm-hmm. consequence. Right. Yes. In other words, we're putting it in a context. And then we're uh-huh. looking at the intensity, the duration, and the frequency. So hash marks... Right are part of it, but it's only one mm-hmm. of six. And and what I say as a general matter is, is that in order to really understand it, in order to really mm-hmm. address it, in order to make a meaningful and constructive difference in behavioral mm-hmm. planning, you have to understand it in context, in an objective, yes. non-judgmental, non-pejorative mm-hmm. viewpoint. And when we put it in context, we understand better, are able to plan for better, able to support better in a way that it's not like, okay, if you scream more than 24 times, you know, now you've earned that punishment that we've been waiting to give you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which really, at the end of the day, is not what it's about at all. No, no. Yeah, it's uh, it's the behavior. The behavioral support still seems to be something that, that people really struggle with, and uh, there are such good ways to do it and such well-known ways to do it that it seems almost willful sometimes, <laughs> the, the lack of uh, of support that uh, schools give for that. But um, I could talk about that for another 45 minutes. It's yeah, something that, that came right, up quite a lot. Sure. But um, I want to get on I would, to... I would say more uh, than half, some, my, half my cases are, have some element of behavior in them, at least half. Yeah, yeah that's the big thing, and that's... Uh, you know, I want to get on to, to, I know you wanted to talk something about transition planning for students in high school and beyond. That's something that both of my kids have recently gone through, and now uh, I have uh, my son's uh, best friend just graduated and is transitioning to not anything for certain. <laughs> so it's something that I think parents need to really be thinking about as early as possible and planning for and pushing the schools to plan for. So what have you... Uh, found on that subject? What have you worked on with that? Well, it's really interesting. Um, you know, those are, it's not really a development, but it's a prospect. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, Senator Menendez from New Jersey um, yep. just about two weeks ago proposed um, mm-hmm. new legislation. I don't know if you've talked about this or not. And, oh, um, we have not. For, okay, I'm glad you um, are. There's a new bill that he introduced, which, you know, I think it's being referred to generally, and I put it up on my Twitter site, which is at special ed lawyer, and okay. um, the idea is that post transition, there would there would be funding for a role of what they call a transition navigator, which mm-hmm. would, you know, continue to support and help guide 
the transition process. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think Terry, I think the point that you raised a moment ago, sort of on the other end of things, is really critical. The IDEA, the federal statute, calls mm-hmm. for transition planning. In other words, yeah. what happens after you leave mm-hmm. high school to occur at least beginning at 16. In Illinois, right. where I am, it occurs at 14 and a half. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing in the law that says that we can't have consideration of transitional needs, you know, well before 14 and a half and certainly well before 16. And, right. Um, what I argue is that from the first IEP, you know, we need to be looking at, um, you know, well, how does this relate to where the child is ultimately going, where we think the child is going, and what the child yeah. will need when they get there, mm-hmm. which, you know, I mean, and again, not to bring it back to behavioral planning, but if a child has, you know, severely antisocial behaviors at two or three, now, those mm-hmm. aren't going to get any better at 14 or 15 or 20. And mm-hmm. so when we're when we're looking at something that might be cute, you know, in a three-year-old, it's uh-huh. really going to be it's going to be perhaps you know a serious um, violation of law and violation of people's personhood, you know, when they're 14 yeah. or 15. I mean, uh-huh. And so transition planning. Is you know it includes things like um, orientation and mobility. How can the mm-hmm. child or young adult you know move through the community? And um, mm-hmm. one of the things that I guess troubles me is that you know I see sort of a uniformity across many transition plans, and, mm-hmm. and um, which is um, I have like so many students that their transition plan says they're going to go into culinary arts. You know I'm all for <laughs> cooking and I'm certainly all for yeah. eating. And, uh-huh. and I and I think that you know at least in theory sounds like a great idea, but uh-huh. when you when you break down what it means to to work in a in a, in a kitchen you know of any yeah. sort, uh-huh. it's it's, it's fast paced. There's lots right. of things like hot liquids and sharp mm-hmm. objects and people screaming and people yeah. running and um, <laughs> you know I mean many of my students have issues with processing speed, they have issues yeah. with communication, and, um, I mean, this is almost a recipe for disaster. Right. Um, as opposed to taking sort of, again, a less parochial, broader view, mm-hmm. where yeah. we're looking at, um, like, there was a, a meeting that I had where the subject was brought up of a two-year degree. Um, if anyone's ever been to, like, say, a conference at a big hotel, where mm-hmm. there's actually a two-year degree for the man or woman to set up the audiovisual, you know, microphones yeah. and things like that. Uh-huh. And um, and it's a surprisingly, you know, the entrance-level salary was surprisingly decent, and there, there are hmm. certificate programs around the country, just as a for instance. And, yeah. um, and, you know, it's quiet, it's unhurried, no one is screaming sure. at you. There's no there's no hot liquids or sharp objects, you know, in play. <laughs> yeah. And um, and, uh, and you're working generally for a large corporation where there may be benefits, yeah. and you know, yeah. there may be room for advancement. You know, so right. looking at at certificated programs as sort mm-hmm. of an end or transition planning, yeah. sort of again broadening out the view. You know, right. even working as a veterinary technician or mm-hmm. you know or some other. Some other areas that you know, it, it just it can't be childcare, culinary arts, and janitorial service. That seems to be like right. the, 
three the three big ones. And for some yeah. students, this may be very applicable. But yeah. That not be the totality of the end goal of transition planning for a large majority of students. Yes. Yeah. Have, having more creativity in that. I mean, there certainly seem to be more um, availability of of college programs to kids with disabilities and. Uh, developmental disabilities and intellectual disabilities as well as physical disabilities uh, that wasn't there 10 or 12 years ago. So It's amazingly, it's think, amazingly true. Yeah. And, and, I, and yeah. I see, now I was just speaking to a family the other day of a five or six-year-old with, um, mm-hmm. with autism, and the child has, um, you know, they're showing some really great gains, has really done a great mm-hmm. job. And, you know, this is a fairly young child, and, you know, and I say, you know, 10 years ago, the programs to support kids, you know, high-functioning kids and other kids with uh-huh. autism, as a, for instance, in college, was fairly unusual. Now it's right. fairly common. I said, you know, yeah. in 13 years, when your kid is 18 or 19, um, uh-huh. it, it's it's just going to be just fairly commonplace. And yes. um, the wraparound programs, you know, you know, someone to knock on the door to make sure the child is not just staying in their room and playing video mm-hmm. games. And, right. Um, and, just, you know, not not an IEP, but more than just a simple 504, hey, you're on your own, and good luck to you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's very encouraging. And uh, I, I my uh, kids are both in community college now, and I just go and hang out during the day with them. And just to see the the diversity in terms of uh you know disabilities on the campus and how accepted everything is and how they seem to be getting the help they need and yet still having some independence is really inspiring and uh I hope that uh, transition coordinators are taking note of this and considering that as an option uh you know so that it's you know, for years it was sort of like, well, your kid can't go to college. Well, that's not something that's realistic. But it's it's realistic now. It's for, for more and more kids, I think. And, and, uh, and one thing that I would say, too, is that, um, I mean, first, God bless community colleges. And, um, yes, and that's absolutely. That's really terrific to hear about your kids. And um, the other thing that I've discovered is that in my area, I'll just pick a number, there's four or five community colleges that are close mm-hmm. by. And yeah. if you ask... Um, sort of similar questions as far as what supports are available. You mm-hmm. get a fair diversity of opinion in terms of well, right. we don't have to do that. And, and yeah. then four miles up the road, the next uh-huh. college says, oh, yeah, we're, we're perfectly fine with that. So, yeah. so I would say to parents, if you have that in mind, and I think that's certainly something that should be pursued, you know, mm-hmm. and you're getting a negative vibe from this or that disability coordinator at this or that community college, Look at another one, because there yeah. there are several in my area that are amazingly, amazingly supportive, and then there are some mm-hmm. that are amazingly not supportive. And, yeah. Um, so don't be discouraged if you're not getting the positive message from, you know, College X, because there may be one up the road where it's going to be exactly the opposite. And it is so nice, uh, you know, for parents who have gone through the school system and had to battle with 
had had no choice as to who they had to battle with. They have to deal with their school system to have choice, you know, to be able to say, yeah. to be able to pick the school that's going to be the, the best for your kid and to be able to work with them and, uh, you know, to be able to make these decisions without having to sit down with a table full of people and you know, have a meeting and get everybody's signature on the document. It's really nice. I did a little dance after I had my last IEP meeting. and uh, oh, I, you I, know, can, there, I can only imagine. <laughs> though there's certainly challenges, you know, at the relatively on-your-own college level. Uh, it's it's nice to be able to make your own decisions <laughs> based on what you think yeah. is best for your kid um, and uh, to have that opportunity. And certainly I think that certificate programs, as you mentioned, is something that, uh, you know, every parent should be looking at to see if there's something that would interest their kid. Um, well, I think if... If Senator, Senator Menendez's bill, you know, gains any traction, I'm sure that would also help, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of, like, kids in, in a position like your children are and and other kids as well. And um, so, you know, because it, it's not as if at 21 or 22 that things just come to an abrupt halt in terms of needs and in terms yeah. of making a mean, meaningful life for um, mm-hmm. this young man or this young woman. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the next step when it comes to inclusion because as we get more and more kids who are in inclusion all through school and then high school ends and all their friends go off to college or whatever and there's nothing there for them and they go back into a segregated program, that's not what we're shooting for. (laughs) It's like, what were we doing all that for in order for them to then go to a day program? It's not, you know, there has to be an inclusive step after school. So. Well, as, as you know, my wife writes uh, a column for my blog, and um, <laughs> yeah, and you know, and the, one of the jokes that she makes on the blog is that you know you're in trouble if your transition plan is a TV guide. <laughs> yes, and, um, sadly, not as far sadly. from reality as uh, as we would like. Well, unfortunately, that was the school bell saying we've gotten to the end of our time, not to the end of our questions and the end of our conversation. Unfortunately, but. Um, I hope we can have you back sometime in the future. I think you've got some great stuff to say, and I know that parents and schools need to hear it. So thank you so much for being our guest today and for being with me solo here on my first solo outing. <laughs> and I would um, like to thank great, our listeners. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, and you did great as well. I would like to thank our listeners for tuning into our program this morning. Please join us for next week's show when I will talk with Amy Senton Lee about making not just our schools but our churches more inclusive. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, where Nicole tweets under the name uh, inclusive underscore class, and I am at Mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E, and you can follow Charles Fox at Special Ed Lawyer. Uh, and finally, you can download our past podcast for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Goodbye, everybody, and have a great week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.